Wine Monk, Arizona Wine Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an impromptu podcast of the Arizona Wine Monk with James Callahan and his new intern. Would you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Belle, and I'm from New Zealand. Um, I'm based in Marlborough, top of the South Island, and I've come over here for 10 weeks for harvest with um, James at Rune Wine, and we'll also be processing for Sam from Pearlsbury Vineyard State. Cheers. Cheers, mate. So the idea here is kind of impromptu introduction to Arizona wine and the wine industry and what makes us so crazy awesome and unique. We're drinking a whole smattering of rune wines. Well, James and I are. Belle has kind of wined herself out for the day. I'm on to the whiskey. It's not a bad thing in the slightest. It fits well with the Western persona that we both culture That's uh, true. daily. To each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, if I can squeeze yep. here, so you that come. way we're all facing the mic the same way. In front of the hookah. That was close. So, what's your introduction to wine? How did you get started? Well, I'm a journalist by trade, and I um, moved to Marlborough in 2012 to work for the local newspaper as a journalist, and I, soon enough, after a year or so, became very hooked in learning about the wine industry, so I um, left the paper and became a seller hand in 2013, and I've been there ever since, and I write part-time for the wine industry, and I do a bit of farming writing as well. And um, yeah, all along I've just been learning more and more about how to make wine and how it works and working with clients because we're a client wine making facility at New Zealand Wineries. And um, yeah, it took me to Hunter Valley in New South Wales and Australia for harvest last year and I thought, well, it'd be fun to come to the States and make wine in the desert for a change. So here I am. I love it. It's great. And we start harvest next week. And I cannot wait. So what's the first thing that's going to be coming in this year? Chardonnay. Followed by Viognier. And Chenin Blanc. Uh, then Malvasia. Then Symphony. Then Grenache. Then Syrah. Uh, Petite Syrah. Then Mouvedre. And then we were done. <laughs> I might have forgot one thing. Uh, we have some Cabernet coming out of Bowie for a client, and some Barbera as well. And that's always a crapshoot. You never know when that's going to come in. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, admittedly I've only been really following the wine industry from harvest in depth for only a few years, not as long as I've been drinking. Um, but it's already shocked me that here in the Verde Valley right now as we speak, there's Pinot Noir on House Mountain that's sitting at 23 bricks. Um, the Viognier at the Southwest Wine Center has already been harvested, which shocked me, because I'm used to Shenan coming in you know, around this time, maybe a week later, but it seems like everything's just moving forward quick this year. Surprisingly, speaking of the year, um, it's been raining every day in Sonoda, and Wilcox hasn't had as much rain as last year at this time. But I'd say it's a wet year in Sonoida. Um, but as far as the north is concerned, I'm not sure. But I, I think it's definitely drier. 
drier than last year, maybe. And things seem to be a little earlier. And we also had a warm winter, which kind of pushed the vines out a week ahead of schedule. But with this El Nino that we're in and all the rain that we've had, I've, I thought we'd, maybe we'd have a little bit longer hang time. So we're, we're really just hoping to get some cloud cover and some nice monsoonal moisture coming through to kind of settle things down right now. Uh, and we're, as always, every winemaker uh, before harvest is scrambling just to get every, all the final preparations in order. And <laughs> an early harvest is not never welcome, but when it's all said and done, you're always very happy that it's over. And <laughs> you're like, it's Mother Nature changing the show. And we had one of these back in 2012. And uh, another warm year, from my experience. And we made some really good wines that year, so... It's, every year is different. When are they expecting a harvest in Sonoida, do you know? When? It depends, because they, they plant everything there from Pinot to uh, Mouvedra. So, you know, some really early budding stuff, early ripening stuff, uh, to late stuff. So it's... I don't know. I, you probably... I, on average, I'd say mid-September to late uh, to early October would be a good estimate this year, depending on how much rain we get. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the pictures that Ken's been posting almost every day on Instagram, and it's... A lot of stuff there is just now entering Verasion, or, or it's in, just got to Verasion, and it's um, you know maybe finally starting to color up a little bit, whereas in Wilcox, it was doing that two to three weeks ago. Yeah. I'm starting to see some Verasion here in the Verde. Um, there was the grapes that we saw today by um, the surgeon's house. They're starting to go into Verasion. Surprisingly, the Grenache at Page Springs seems to be largely still green. Is that the stuff by the parking lot? Yeah. I mm -hmm. saw that too. I thought that was quite interesting because um, I'm sure our Grenache has some color and it's typically warmer up here. So it's a little interesting. Uh, Maybe it's because it's new vines or it's in the shade or, or something that like that. That could be it. I mean, it's right next to the shade. Of it's the actually uh, underneath the solar panels that they just put in. So I imagine they face south, and the row I looked at was right beneath them, so they probably get some sunlight blocked. Yeah. That's my best guess, because it was kind of peculiar that I saw. I, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I was just there a couple days ago helping them to finish up their bottling, which I guess is one of those last things that you need to do before harvest, just to get space. Mm -hmm. At least I would, I would assume not really managing my own winery. Hmm. So the reason why we're mostly recording today is so that way it's kind of an impromptu, let's introduce someone from outside who works from a different wine industry and coming from a different perspective to kind of the Arizona quirks, as it were. So, you know, fire away your questions. Ask me your questions, Bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. Well, I mean, I'm just most fascinated about learning about, you know, working with the, with the, I suppose, the spanners Mother Nature throws us, like, on um, the monsoons and the extreme weather, you know, because, I mean, in Marlborough, of course, we have vintages where, you know, we get good rain and have to hurry fruit in and we have to leave it longer than we thought we'd, we'd want to, hanging on the vines to wait for the weather to clear, but, I mean, um, nothing quite compares to the desert and the monsoons, so... Yeah, that, that really interests me and, you know, how how we actually irrigate the vines and apparently it's by Mother Nature again. Um, Here? Doing her due, her due duties. <laughs> it helps, definitely. Yep. This time of year. For sure. 
But um, yeah, working with different varieties. I mean, a lot of them, to be honest, I haven't really dealt with at all. Um, I worked with a lot of Shiraz last year with Syrah in the Hunter Valley, but um, you know, I come from a from a tradition of Sauvignon Blanc and a lot of Pinot Noir, which we do really well, and um, German varietals like Gewurz Traminer and um, Grüner Beltliner, and yeah, it'd be cool just to try some try some new ones and I've been doing some fun tastings today with James it's been lots of fun and um, yeah just looking forward to having a whole new culture of the states and being in the desert and the cactuses and being a horse girl and farm girl myself it's um, been fun live spending a few days on a ranch recently and mucking around with some calf roping horses and things so yeah just um, living the wine making dream really and I'm just uh, you're looking forward to being in the cellar and dragging some hoses and learning some new theories and picking up lots of new skills with um and working with a winemaker who's very innovative and following his own dream and um yeah can't wait what's been your favorite uh varietal so far that you've tasted with your virgin new zealand palate with my virgin New Zealand palate. <laughs> to Arizona wine, that is. My favorite Arizona yeah. wine. No, just like, what do you like? What do you, what, what's, yeah. what turns you on so you seem to enjoy. Well, yeah. I've tried a couple of really nice Syrahs actually this week um, that have been like maybe perhaps slightly lower pH than slightly um, less tannin and smooth, smoother to drink, you know, because I suppose, because I do like my, like my Merlots and Pinots and, um, some of the kind of wines, you know, like I'm not used to the heavy tannins, so I've been enjoying that. And James, what was the other one I liked today that was called? Um, uh, the Arizona, uh, the Arenoa, that one? Yep, yep. Arenoa. Arenoa, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. I love that. <laughs> I've that, never had that before either, yep. so. Yeah, I've never heard of it. The newest weird thing coming out of Dragoon. I love Dragoon because it's a vineyard that has the weirdest grapes, and I love that. Um, my brain is totally blanking on his name. And it's Irish. John McLaughlin. Thank you. Duh. I love what John McLaughlin is doing there and just experimenting wildly and crazily. And it's great because there's only about, what, 300 acres total of Arianoa in the entire world. And we're growing some here just to see, what the hell, why not? Let's see how it does. And I tasted that in the tasting room a while back when I was bottling and I've liked it really. I liked it enough to get a bottle, actually. Me too. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know when I'm going to drink it, but... Um, yeah, we came to Northern Arizona to kind of... We haven't actually been down to the vineyards yet in Southern Arizona, so the first stop was like, hey, before we get in the harvest, we'll go up and say hi to Cody, the wine monk, and um, check out Jerome, which is a really cool town. Hills. Lots of hills. Grass. Grass. <laughs> As opposed to what you've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, nicely some grass again. So, yes, yeah, And uh, see some of the vineyards and see, you know, a part of Arizona that you probably you won't be working in, you know, when, mm. when you're down south. So, it's important to kind of see the whole picture. And, For sure. And taste some some wines from different winemakers. It's a whole different style down south versus up here, and every winemaker is different. And as we continue to taste everything around the state, you know, it's going to be cool to see. Yeah. What yeah. you think about everything? There really does seem to be a sort of Sonoida school, a Verde Valley school, and a Wilcox school. And almost. there's some people that are doing different things, but you know, by and large, there's almost similarities, mm -hmm. um, kind of between winemakers. I'm wondering if that has to do a lot with pedigree and 
you know, Kent and Gary being the first down south and teaching everyone else there, and, you know, John, um, John Marcus up here, kind of the pedigree for everyone else up here, and teaching Glomsky and all the others, and, and then I'm not sure who would be kind of the originator of Wilcox, probably a blending of both traditions, really. Well, the first person down there would probably be, I'm not sure who the person, Albie Old Vineyard, or uh, Sweet Sunrise Vineyard, Peter Lechtenbaumer. Both of those guys were, pl they planted some some of the first vineyards down there. But, uh, I'd say a lot, you know, Wilcox has been mostly like a, a source for every winemaker in the state to kind of play with since its inception. And so, I mean, the grapes from down there spread to Sonoida, they spread to the Verde Valley, and then now, you know, more so day by day, uh, people are making wines in Wilcox to, that reflect the terroir there. Sunsights is now uh, Sand Reckoner, right? Sweet Sunrise, yeah. So Sweet Sunrise, yeah. That is now Sand Reckoner. I have the Canelo Hills from uh, Nebbiolo from that vineyard. Yeah, exactly. It's a sparkling wine, right? No, I don't have the sparkling wine. Oh, you don't have the sparkling wine. I unfortunately do not have the sparkling Nebbiolo. I heard it was yeah. good. But, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I have their still Nebbiolo, which I would love to... Well, I'm actually planning on reviewing later when I get time... Um, going to be kind of doing a tentative focus on Nebbiolo for the month of August. Just drinking different Nebbiolos from yeah. different vineyards. I've got one from McLaughlin. I've got a couple Nebbiolo Rosés. I finished writing the review for the uh, 2012 Lely Nebbiolo Rosé. Mm. There's also a Nebbiolo in the tasting room right now in um, Arizona Stronghold. Well, it's not on the menu, but if you ask politely. I think it's part of their summer release, red release for Wine Club, but they've got a couple bottles open in the tasting room. They've got a really great Gewürztraminer in there right now that actually pretty much knocked my socks off. So, I think Gewürztraminer has a power like Symphony. Yeah. It's like really like blow your mind away with some aromatics and texture and structure and as far as white wines go, it's a... I, uh, we made a Gewürztraminer wine worth the cost of brown. It's some of the best I've ever had, you know? And it's just it's a grape that's totally un underexplored here in America. Especially <laughs> here in Arizona. Sense. Especially in Arizona. And I only know of three or four vineyards growing it. And Painted Lady up here in the north does it. They're not going to be able to get off harvest this year because they got nuked by frost five times. That's Skull Valley? Yeah. Um... The funny thing about this Gewürztraminer is it's coming from the same vineyard, Bonita Springs, that used to belong to Cocapelli, and the Cocapelli Gewürztraminer was the very first Arizona wine I ever had at 21 years old, and it was so bad that it took me another year to try another Arizona wine, and it How was... How old are you now? I'm just turned 31. Good man. <laughs> Cocapelli. And then, uh, it, worse yet, it took me six years to try another Gewürztraminer. <laughs> If not, actually, probably more like seven or eight. The point is, it was not a good wine. But later, Arizona Stronghold acquired that vineyard, and Corey made this beautiful Gewürztraminer from it that just knocked my socks off. It was like drinking lychees soaked in rose water. It was just really What cool. vineyard is that off? Bonita Springs? Bonita Springs. Yeah, Bonita Springs, okay. Yeah, I want to try that wine. Well, you should go we, to the Stronghold tomorrow. Yeah, we, we, yeah, go to Stronghold tomorrow. It's on the list. It's on the list. Tell, tell them Cody said you need to try this. <laughs> yes. 
It's not like my name carries much weight, but at least I don't know that it does or not. It was weird at the opening of Chateau Tumbley, which another you need to go. Um, people actually like, oh, you're the wine monk, and I'm just like, how did you know who I was? Why are you talking to me? Don't talk to me. I don't want to be social. I want to drink. <laughs> no, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me to my wine. Leave me to my wine, minions. <laughs> Not yeah. minions, but no. <laughs> it goes well with the uh, <laughs> with the, the accent. Yeah. <laughs> and the... Tell you what, I'm actually really looking forward to making the Chardonnay over here with you, James, mm. because, you know, we make a lot of Chardonnay back at home and, you know, the difference in... Um, how much we, we use barrel or we use tank and here, you know, from talking to James so far we use it, it's all in barrel and it's really it's cool and we use um, some wild ferment and some um, manufactured, cultured. Cult, some cultured yeast and it's going to be really cool, like that's one of the main buzzes I'm really looking forward to is comparing how we make wine here to how we make wine back home in small batches, big batches, like for instance, you know back home in New Zealand wineries we you know, we process 12 to 15,000 tonne per harvest, which isn't actually big on a mobile scale, it's, you know, pretty moderate, but here we're doing 70 to 80 tonne, period, you know, that's it, so it's going to be so cool, like all hands on and um, small tiny cases and, yeah, it's going to be really good. Hands on with fruit that's been subject to the hot sun, the monsoon, yep. clouds, you know, Cold frost, high diurnal shifts. It's some good fruit, man. It's seasoned. Dust it's, devils. It's, a, it's some sol they're soldiers, you know. They're we get something out of the wine here that we don't get anywhere else. Just like anywhere else, you can't make wine that tastes like Italy in Arizona. No, yeah. it's Arizona wine, you know. And uh, it's gonna be cool to you know taste that for you. I'm sure. What yeah. uh, what we have to offer here. And every year we're kind of mining deeper into that terroir to see what we can pull out. And experimenting and, and finding things that really work well. Speaking of experimenting, have you thought about my crazy co-ferment idea anymore? Any Chardonnay and Grenache? Yeah. Yes, I have. Are you going to do it this year? Sure. Sweet. <laughs> I'm looking for co-fermenting grapes right now. I'm trying to find some cool whites, but uh, yeah. I think that's that's part of the fun there. Is just, in my opinion, uh, co-ferments seem to have more complexity than straight up varietals and I a lot of you see a lot of blends in Arizona but yeah. for me it's like put some when you put some white wines with like a few white grapes in with the red wine it always tends to really add some spice you know add, add a little bit of flavor and touch and like a level of polish to something that sets it apart and uh, if you do it right it makes a fantastic wine you, um, if it goes well, take all the credit. Yeah. If it goes badly, then you can blame me. I haven't had a co-ferment that was terrible yet. Well, so, My first introduction to co-ferment was last year in the Hunter Valley when I was at Mount Pleasant and um, just near Cessnock and Pocolbin. That was really cool. And um, we co-fermented a lot of Shiraz or Syrah with Viognier. And that was really cool because we're doing that here as well. I understand. Yep. And oh I'm yeah, the guns and kisses. Really, yeah, the guns and classic kisses. Classic coat roti. And the classic Syrah is... Classic Syrah is not a coat co No, that's right. It's just the wild Syrah. Yep, just Which the wild. is with my girlfriend, Malvasia. What are you sipping on there, by the way? I am actually drinking the classic Syrah. Ah, is that your first time? Yes, it is, as a matter of fact. What are your thoughts? I really like the classic Syrah. It's got a really, really rich, 
velvety mouthfeel. A uh, little bit of that Latakia pipe tobacco, which I love so much in Wilcox Syrah. Um, really, really nice, almost plum boysenberry, like super ripe boysenberry with a little bit of... Um, uh, there's another fruit here. Give me a minute. A little bit almost, almost blackberry, even. It's got this really nice richness. We were tasting it with cheese the other day, and we got huckleberry out of it. Like, with a certain cheese, it was I like... I totally see camera, that. Yeah. I can totally see that. With, uh, this, uh, this wine is whole cluster. Like, 25%. That's whole cluster. why. And uh, it has a little bit more spice and structure. But I wish... finally starting to come around. I really wish that more people would be playing with whole cluster. Out here, I mean, right now the it's only few. Yeah. Um, Chateau Tumbleweed has done it. Um, you need to try the whole cluster Merlot tomorrow. By the way, it's bomb diggity. Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't the official word I used. It, it's aging like a Nebbiolo, weirdly enough, like an Italian Nebbiolo. That's just bizarre to me. It's like Merlot, what are you doing? You're you're not Nebbiolo. What? What are you? No. Okay, you're good. I'll let it slide. <laughs> well, a whole cluster is good because it adds another level of. Uh complexity to a wine but it's also not a wine that an average novice can drink and be like oh this is great you know because it adds you know it's, it's more for a season it's a geekier thing yeah it's more for a season palette you have to understand what you're tasting because it might not be as approachable as um something that's not and most you know 98 percent of all wines don't quote me on the percentage but majority of all wines um that you taste from america are not whole clusters they're all destemmed and fruity and it's it's interesting to do something in an old world style. Yeah. When the when the year is correct and the the ripening of the stems is correct and you get a nice lignification, and you can get a nice spice, spicy characteristic out of the out of the stems. Yeah, there's there's a it bit of spice in here it, you know, too. It adds, yeah, it's definitely spice. You know, it's um, sort of an all spice, a little bit of nutmeg, a little bit almost a cardamom. Mine's got a little bit of a chai. Yeah, I'd say more actually. like a, like a tea. Yeah, a chai or tea. Or like a yeah, exactly tea or, or a cardamom is like a greener spice, you know? It's a mixture of herbal and kind of herbal spice, I guess. If this wine... This wine was a person. The classic Syrah is your classic pinup model. Very curvy. Sort of like Audrey Hepburn, but curvier. But she's holding that uh, little vanilla cigarillo in that silver uh, cigarillo holder, just smoking it lightly while she's reclining on the couch. She's classy. Classy as fuck. She's not quite as approachable as other yeah, she, women. She, yeah. But yet, once you get to talk to her... Once you get to talk to her, you're like, stunned. holy shit, this <laughs> woman is awesome. I want to, like, not know anybody else ever. And she'll throw you a curveball here and there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. As you'll learn, I characterize wines as people. Audrey Hepburn is also clone six six seven Pinot Noir. Why? Yeah, uh, why? Because she's classy and she's quite elegant, but she's pretty cool at the same time. Holds a bit of grunt, you know. Good and balance. I, I could totally see and that. And who's the clone triple seven that we talked about? Clint this? Eastwood. Clint, hell yeah, Clint Eastwood. For a Pinot? Yeah. In what role? Because he's done a lot of roles. I don't know. I'm not a movie buff. Oh come on. Well, the good, try. the bad, the ugly, the. Uh, Grand Torino, you've got the alternate. <laughs> the dirty, dirty Harry. Anything with guns. Dirty Harry for sure. Yeah, okay. okay. You, you feel lucky, punk. <laughs> this 50% whole cluster is dirty. 
<laughs> How many clusters do I have on this vine? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Your notebook. How do I... What would be the wine equivalent to bullets? I don't know. I digress. Is this uh, wait, wine yes. at 32 bricks or 25? No, that, that's, that's better Probably your favorite varietal, Saparavi. Yeah. Would be more like ammunition right there. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, Saparavi. I can't wait until my friend goes back to California. I'm just going to tell her, bring me back a half case. Just, just go crazy. Yes. <sighs> what are you drinking? I'm drinking classic because you inspired me. I just nice. Pour some classic. How's the whiskey, by the way? It's good. I'm drinking. Um, I'm drinking Jerome Moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine actually made some whiskey and aged it in barrel and unnamed. Yeah, as well. distillation is illegal unless yeah, you have a license. Like I said, it's a friend. I have not mentioned any names. <laughs> they knew who they are, although I don't know that they're listening. Actually. Um, <laughs> Well, now the NSA is listening, but... Hi, NSA! <laughs> how are you? Hello, how's it going? Sup? <laughs> you know where I live. Glad you're getting paid to listen to our podcast. <laughs> Hope this inspires you to uh, build up your palate and uh, try some new and innovative wines when you get home from work today. Yes, indeed. Um, let's see here. Another, another interesting question. Uh... When you came before you came to the Arizona Belt, yeah, what are you expecting? Because I mean, every time you travel somewhere, <coughs> you Google it, you Wikipedia, it, whatever. But what the heck were you thinking? Well, in Arizona, I've been to, wine. in fairness, I've been to Nevada back a few years ago, so I knew there'd be cactus, I knew there'd be dirt, um, I knew it'd be hot, but I didn't quite expect the. Um, regional diversity which we get here which we you know in fairness we get in Marlborough as well like you know you got one region but you've got different valleys and different ripening periods and different you know grape structure and it's really good because you do get very different wines with different acidities and um, soils and bits and pieces so yeah I was surprised it was a nice surprise I, I flew into Phoenix and I've spent a few days here I've just traveled north I'm here in Jerome now with um, you know, with with some great like mountains and grass and greenery, and that's really Creeks. cool. Creeks! <laughs> oh my God, running water! Woo! Yeah, we need to water. we need to show you the waterfall tomorrow. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> On our way to Caduceus for coffee. You can take a kiwi out of the out of New Zealand, but you can't take a you can't take the New Zealand out of the kiwi. So now it's going to be good to see some you know greenery. Well, that must be again. interesting trying to make a salad. Or fruit Sorry, I was making a kiwi fruit joke. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. We, we, You'll smack me for that later, all, probably. I think we're all punned out tonight now. <laughs> yeah. but, oh, um, my dear, we've hardly even begun. <laughs> no, but, you know, so, yeah, I was... I mean, I'm fascinated to, you know, still I haven't been down to Wilcox. I haven't actually been to my, my place of work yet. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really cool. But I expect hot. I expect cactuses. I expect dirt. Um, and Wilcox. And Wilcox. No, I know there's. The I know there's. A there's no cactus in Wilcox. No, Whoa. no cactus. There's a saloon. Sorry to house. sorry to burst your bubble there. And dirt rides. I've got a. I've got but a, what you can see, there'll be cowboys and Indians and sand dunes, and yep. there'll be uh, roadrunners and coyotes and scorpions. 
it's no, no scorpions. No scorpions. That's good because the smallest ones. But there'll be snakes. Snakes. Yep. So watch out for them. Snakes. And Why did it have to be snakes? I've got a mountain bike thanks to my mate Jeremy who's lent me his bike over here, and I'll be turtling around on that. And um, yeah, bring on the heat really, and the monsoons because there are monsoons in the desert regardless to what people think about the rain. Um, Has it rained yet since you've been here? No. Are you eagerly awaiting a rain? Yes, I'm looking forward to a monsoon. I'm going to embrace my heavy rain coming in from the south, heading up towards the north. Do you have any idea what it's going to feel like to have a hot day that cools down from 95 degrees to like 70 within 30, 30 minutes? Yeah. And then you're like, this is fantastic. It's yeah. like a godsend. No, I don't. And I'm also going to have to get my head around Celsius and Fahrenheit as well. Or True. Celsius oh, yeah, you don't even know what said, huh? Yeah. I'm speaking a different language to you. So, um, yeah. Now it's going to be very, very fun. I'm very much looking forward to it. Can't wait. I'm already enjoying it. <laughs> what else are you really looking forward to? Running in the mountains. Um, going to the Grand Canyon. Doing lots of hiking. Going on my mountain bike. Maybe going to... Um, Austin, if I get a chance, having some barbecue meat in Austin, and that's about all. Fantastic. Just just exploring Arizona as much as I can, and learning lots about wine, and having some great wines, and drinking some good whiskey, and trying some good tequila, and drink, eating some really good food, and hanging out with James and Sam, who I'll be learning lots off for winemaking, and yeah. I've spent like, I don't know the majority of my life in Arizona, and I still have places I have not seen. You know, I've driven my car around a lot of places, and I've traveled, but the state's so unique because you can go, just as you saw today, like you can go to the middle of a valley and be engulfed in the cottonwood trees and big greenery and creeks and rivers, and you never know you're in Arizona. Uh, what you think is Arizona. And then, you know, tomorrow you could go to Flagstaff and there's probably still snow on the mountain. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> if you hunt around the well face, enough. There might be some snow yeah. up there uh, this late in the year. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, you can see some alpine. You can see some uh, aspen trees. You can see a totally different thing that you'd ever imagine. Then you'd ever imagine. And then you can just travel a little bit north to the Grand Canyon. You can go a little bit uh, east of there, you know, a few hundred miles and see the Navajo Reservation. Canyon Desert is beautiful. Canyon Desert is beautiful. Uh, you can actually get geekier and go to the Hopi Mesas, which where you can't even go on a couple of them without a guide even. Uh, one of them I don't think you can go on at all because they're sacred. And uh, see their architecture and, and see this one of the last indigenous societies uh, left in the continental U.S. That hasn't ever or, been moved. I that mean, hasn't been moved, yeah. People have been living on Orabi for... Exactly. Since about 12... 50, 1240 AD. With a unique style of life and architecture and uh, artwork and you know, and then you can go down south to Tucson which is a really cultural mecca that's full of uh, Mexican influence. And south of there you can go down to Sonoida which is a beautiful place in its own. It's almost it's rolling grassland with a high desert steppe. Makes and me think of Rohan. <laughs> Rohan exactly. The Riders Lord of, of the Rings. Yeah, exactly. And then you go to Wilcox which is, used to be the cattle capital of the world. Or of the United States, not the world, but uh, um, those beautiful mountains, the Sky Islands around, Chiricahuas, uh, Mount Graham. Chiricahuas <laughs> is a great place for hiking, by the way. Highly yeah. recommend a couple of the trailers up. They're trails all completely different. Up there. You know, 
that's just, you know, I was going to say, like, the state, you can explore your whole life and never see every single part. Exactly. I mean, for me, I still haven't been really into the White Mountains. Greenlee County, I've never been to. I need to, that's, you know, I've never been above the Arizona Strip, of, you know, north You've side of the Grand Canyon. Oh, crap. No Colorado City? Nope. You've not ventured into the, the polygamous Mormon stronghold? I have not. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure I would be exiled immediately. It's, it's a place where the houses are unfinished. And I say that because I've driven through there. And they'll build a house and they'll put plywood on the side, but they won't paint it. And there might be a couple windows missing. And I, at first driving through, I was like, oh, maybe because they can't afford to finish it. But I was talking to some locals there as I stopped to get gas. And not trying to be rude or anything, but I was just like, you know, why are so many houses here, like, not finished? But I see a private airport on Google Earth with jets parked at it. It's like, what the heck? Well, the reality is, is that by not finishing a home, don't mean to segue too much, by the way, yeah, but just no. interesting side point. Uh, by not finishing their homes, they're never subject to the property taxes that a completed house would be subject to. And I guess being in the Arizona Strip, the most one of the most inaccessible parts of the, United, the continental United States, mm -hmm. you can get away with that. <laughs> so yeah. that's I guess that's their idea is to evade taxes. <laughs> I mean, the moral of the story is you can go anywhere in Arizona and find something really unique and different and, and different cultures uh, across the whole state, which is fantastic. It's it's the most complex uh, state. I think so, whole. and uh, I almost you can almost divide Arizona into sort of like four cultural regions. Yeah. You have uh, Navajo land, mm -hmm. um, and then you have Arizona del Norte, which is kind of the center is kind of here, either in the Verde Valley or Flagstaff. Or Flagstaff. Yeah. Very, very almost libertarian culture. Um, you know, microbrews, wines, beers. Everyone's pretty much down to Outdoors. earth. Outdoors. Yeah. Then you have Baja, Arizona, with its dramatic Mexican influence. And then you have Phoenix and, and <laughs> the deserts around, which I call Caca, Arizona. <laughs> No offense to my Phoenician <laughs> friends, but... There's a lot of them out there. <laughs> but, um, because that's where all the political shit happens, and most of the politicians in Arizona I've found are very, very full of it. Um, and, unfortunately, because Phoenix has all the politicians, that's where all the news is made, and so many Arizona stereotypes are based around the Phoenix area that it honestly really pisses me off. Yeah. Um, because it's just such a varied, varied state. It's like that meme that was posted recently, it's like, if all 50 states were drinking in a bar, and it's like, yeah, that, that would work for Phoenix and not, you know, Tucson or Flagstaff or Navajo land, for that matter. You know, it would be completely different. You'd almost have to have four different people in that bar representing Arizona, at least, yeah. if we're going to, like, dramatically narrow it down. Exactly. And it's hard enough to find the native Arizona, <laughs> you know, yeah. to even be in the bar. Me. Of course, I'd be over there representing North Arizona with my beard and going, Have you tried Malvasia Bianca? Hello. Have you heard the word of Malvasia Bianca? <laughs> On the corner of the university campus, spreading the word. Join, join the cult of Malvasia. <laughs> Actually, I once joked that if I ever got into metal, I would name a metal band Cult of Malvasia. And the songs would be named mostly after, like, Metal winemaking terms like carbonic maceration, <laughs> whole cluster fermentation, <laughs> or uh, um, punch down, punch down, punch down. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
Fun fact, if you know how to orthodox chant, you can probably also do a lot of heavy metal. <laughs> have you ever orthodox chanted on a podcast? I don't think I have done it on a podcast. Did I bring... Yes, I do have the big giant red sacred wine book. There we go. Fantastic. This is a treat right here. This is noteworthy in its own right. And I just want to thank Holy Cross London College for teaching me how to orthodox chant, so that way I can do it in all the sorts of inappropriate places. <laughs> as, as your living room. While drinking non-ceremonial wine. Well... The funny thing about um, Communion Wine in the Orthodox Church, and I actually have one in my cellar, the idea is that it's uh, a Barbera, well, Barbera Dolcetto blend from uh, St. Anthony's. It's just a different style and different way of doing it. Um, so for the eventual Barbera cast. Belt. Pick a grape for... Pretty. I was going to read Syrah. But you want to read Syrah? Syrah's fine. Syrah's good, okay. Yeah. Okay, so let me find it here. Man, like Syrah. Hey, Syrah, Syrah. Since we're. Hey, Syrah, Syrah. Since two of us are drinking Syrah right now. <clears throat> yes. Of course, I'm not going to read the whole entry because that would be, you know, 350 hours. <clears throat> the reading is from the Book of. <clears throat> the reading is from the Book of Wine Grapes by Jensen's Robinson. Let us attend Syrah, generally fashionable alternative to Cabernet Sauvignon with a complex and surprising family background. Syrah's most famous home is in the vineyards of the Northern Rhone, that rhymes. such as Hermitage and Cote Roti. It was first mentioned by Fouget de Saint-Fond in 1781 under various spellings. In French, that I'm not going to read here because it's way long. Syrah from Hermitage gives a nice, generous, appetizing, and age-worthy wine. We can blend a small quantity of white grapes as is done in time. Cien and Vion from Cote Roti would be suitable as well. Syrah begat Dorof through a natural crossing with Polorsen. The reading... Wait, no. Um... Anyway, it goes on and on. <laughs> oh, man! Slow clap. <laughs> Slow and clap. meanwhile, everyone went to seminary is going, oh, God. Meanwhile, everyone is listening to Nickelback right now. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to start playing Nickelback again. Or Creed. <laughs> or Creed. <laughs> Both are the same. <laughs> what what was the that same classic, clap? my, what was that classic Creed song, My Sacrifice? Or? Yeah. I. It's been so long since I've even heard it. I have... I, I listened to Creed once in high school under the influence of Protestant friends while I was a pagan. I was like, what is this? I don't understand. The coolest thing is that if anyone's still listening, they're, <laughs> hanging, they're hanging out with us, you know? Exactly. They're chilling. Which is exactly why I do the podcast like this. And, and hopefully so they have I, a nice glass of wine in front of them. You know, the idea behind how I do podcasts, by and large, is, yeah, we'll go into details about wine and winemaking and all this stuff, but... The point is, you know, it's something that you can also enjoy as whether you're a novice and don't know anything about wine or if you're an expert winemaker, fifth generation in Italy. Okay, probably not in Italy because I don't speak Italian, but the point is I try to cater towards just 
wine people, wine geeks, and people who want to learn about wine. Yes. And a lot of people I've noticed when they come into the tasting room, I don't know if they've if you've noticed this in your tasting canopy, is that some people come in very intimidating because they don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. But wine is fun and it's just it's what you drink and it just tastes good. And there's no pretense about it. It's just it's just good drink. Exactly. Wine is not rocket science, nor should it be. Wine as one of the oldest alcoholic drinks known to humanity, apart has from that. Water. Say again. Apart well, from water. Well, wine is alcoholic. Oh, true. But <laughs> it's. I would. I would wager to say wine is the oldest alcoholic drink. Probably. Because beer takes special. You have to bottle. I mean, you can make beer, but to make it bubbly. And to make without it last. Without carbonation or sanitation. I mean. Yeah, I, wine definitely. Well, you can do good wine without having a lot of technology. But, you know, it's and that's why we like it. Exactly. <laughs> because it shows the place better than anything. It does. I mean, you can't really do terroir in beer. No. I, I suppose you could if you really wanted to. I guess Dogfish Head You can change head your is... hops around. You can... Yeah. And I guess Dogfish Head is experimented with native yeast for their historical-based brews. Like, I know when they dated Egypt beer based off of ancient Egyptian beer, they actually, like, Collected native yeast in Cairo or something, but Which probably got influenced by the airplane ride home. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> but you know it's That's how you, you can't really do tour and beer with wine. You can, and that's important because wine speaks of the place where it's grown, and it should. It's a great. It's it's just grape. I mean, great. Uh, <laughs> Wow. No, another pun for the night. That was actually unintentional. That's very punny. <laughs> <laughs> That's punny in itself. Did not intend to go for that pun, but... <laughs> but yeah, yes. I, I mean, wine should not be intimidating, and don't be afraid to ask questions. We're here to help. We're here to teach. We're here to introduce you to our world. We want you to be a part of our world. Because nobody knows everything about wine. Nobody. Oh, come on now. I don't, a, you're, ta- you're in the presence of the wine monk, and you're going to be that sacrilegious? Are yeah. you kidding? There's so much shit I don't know. This man has a, he has many books. Yes, he studies but, all day and illuminates manuscripts but based on wine. <laughs> he is the wine monk. <laughs> if he was born in the Middle Ages, he would not know who he was, because he'd be holed up in some s- seminary. Or a monastery, right? Oh, yeah, I told him he'd probably wait, wait, hold up in a monastery. Where do they put the nuns? Uh, nunnery. You'd be at the nuns. You'd be in the nunnery. You'd be hanging out with the chicks, for I sure. I would like to, but <laughs> I'd probably, you know, be fr- probably be frowned upon. <laughs> in most cases. Um, monks, monks just short for monkey business. Ooh. <laughs> there you go. Monkey business. That's it. He's but, a good monk. <laughs> oh my gosh, this this reminds me. Um, earlier this summer, when my girlfriend was visiting, um, there was the Prescott Wine Festival, and Mark Barris was there for Arizona Rub. And I introduce him to Michelle, and he looks at me, looks at her, looks at me, and he's like, wait, is that allowed? I thought you were an actual monk. <laughs> but, but... Is the does the Pope know? Is the Pope okay with this? <laughs> You're like I'm Orthodox. It's like uh, actually I'm Orthodox. It's okay. 
I mean, I'm not a real monk. I mean, does the Orthodox follow the Pope? In that, that not no, right? really. No. Oh. Um, the Pope is kind of. Uh, I mean, he's considered to be one of the five patriarchs of the Church, but in the Orthodox Church, it's not like one person has the head. It's like the five ancient patriarchates need to make decisions on doctrine and that sort of thing all together. So it's like a decision among equals, and then the Pope just kind of got too big for his britches, and... Not anymore. Yeah. He's... he's I like the... the yeah, I like Francis a lot. He's, he's a good man. He's a good down-to-earth guy. Um, I like breath what of he's... fresh air. Yeah, I like what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's a good guy. I like what you're doing, too, Cody. Well, thank you. You're a good man. I try. Yeah. It's tough, and I don't always succeed, but... Speaking of things. Did you want more whiskey? I'm okay for now, thanks, Cody. Okay. Yeah. Thank I want to you. make sure that I'm a good host. You're a very yes. good host. Thank I tried. Um, and I lost my entire train of thought. Exploded on the side of a mountain. Whiskey. But it was you were thinking whiskey. about whiskey. It's going to be interesting, speaking of whiskey, when we see more Arizona brandy makers yeah. out there. I, I'm really curious what Flying Leap is going to be doing. With yes. the uh, Ugni Blanc. Excited to see. Uh, my, you know, I, um, I think it might do really good things for the port industry here. We need one. I mean, it's we can make a good port here, I think. We can yeah. make a good Madeira. We can make a good uh, a fortified wine, I think, would do well. If we could fortify it with quality craft spirits. Yeah. And that's, I think, the problem that we're lacking right now is we don't have those craft spirits really here, at least not quality ones that we can access that were made from Arizona material to begin with. But one, one of the problems I do see with the distillation industry here, from grape spirits at least, is that we have, a, the last vineyard server we looked at, we had a thousand acres of grapes, you know, there's vineyards in California that can trump that. There's vineyards in New Zealand, I'm sure, that trump that easily. And that's our entire production across the whole state, like these little hodgepodge, three acre vineyards, four acre vineyards, you know. And to make a hard alcohol, it takes a lot of wine to get, like, you know, maybe, I'm not exactly sure, but with the cuts that you usually take when you're distilling, you might have 30 gallons of wine, it might, you might get, like, 5 gallons of pure hard alcohol if you make your cuts really conservatively. And don't quote me on this, I'm not a distiller, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that uh, you're losing a lot in the distillation process already. You're, you're reducing it down, plus you have to cut off certain things as the boiling points are reached. In the, um, and there's, I, don't, I don't know if there's enough fruit here right now to really sustain a huge distillation industry. Yeah. Um, personally, and that, that might change, and it probably will change as, as things grow. But it'll be interesting to see how, how that really works its way out. And right now, like, the grapes we do grow, people put effort into and they're high quality. And the last thing you want to do is just take those grapes that you put all this effort into and just... Distill them. You know, distill them, which is typically something you do off the stuff that doesn't grow great. You know, the things that are not perfect, like... Uh, for instance, like, you probably distill the, the Columbard yeah. at, at Fort Bowie because it's not a fantastic grape in its own. Actually, it's Columbard is one of the big brandy for, grapes yeah, exactly, yeah. in it's a large to begin It's with. a large producer. It can be easily distilled, and you can get you can buy it for cheap from Fort Bowie and make a lot of this, you know, cheap distillate brandy. 
Whereas I, I wouldn't want to plant a vineyard and you know do all the, the level of detail that we normally do with our vines, and then try to distill that because it'd just be a waste of money, uh, in my opinion. I'm not exactly sure what they what the vineyards look like in France. I've never mm -hmm. been there where cognac is made. But I can imagine they don't put the level of detail into it that they do for Burgundy. Yeah. Know, for Cru Burgundy or, or Cru Bordeaux. What Especially about New Zealand? What do they do? Is there any... Is there a native distillation industry there? Or aren't people not doing it? Or There's some vodkas there, right? There's that five Yeah, there is. Yeah, we, we've got some New Zealand vodkas. But um, what about brandy, though? Not that I know of offhand, but that doesn't mean there's not. Um... Yeah, no, I'm not sure about, about brandy and port. Hmm. I mean, I know that it's very unique to do it in the, in the traditional way that, you know, Portugal does it. Um, isn't it true that the laws say that outside of Portugal you can't actually call it port anymore? It's going to be fortified wine, is that correct? Not sure about that. Because we call it port here still. Yeah, yeah. I, I have honestly no idea. Label is port, I uh, thought it was Porto that was only for Portugal. And port could be elsewhere, but that could have changed. I, I honestly don't know. There are laws in the books, like you can't call it champagne in America, yeah. unless you are. Uh, Corbell has the option to call it champagne. Yeah. And um, I forgot the other one, but yeah, it's most. It has to be sparkling, sparkling wine. Besides that, I haven't heard port. That's an interesting point. I actually haven't looked into that. Yeah, I read about that last year. Um, we make schnapps in New Zealand. It's quite nice. Schnapps. Schnapps. But, um, yeah. Good times. So what are the grapes that you're really looking forward to seeing what they do out here in Arizona? Um, offhand, from what I know right now, and I don't know a lot, as I said before, I'm looking forward to working with Chardonnay over here and seeing how they do it in Arizona compared to at home. Um, Syrah, because I've, I learned a lot about Syrah last year in the Hunter Valley at McWilliams at Mount Pleasant, so that'll be good to learn some more about that. Um, and just about, I think what I'm most fascinated about with all the varieties and winemaking in general regardless of variety, I'm looking forward to learning about the ferments and how to control the ferment and um, you know because obviously because it's so hot things will kick off pretty quick right so you've got to deal with um, maybe smelly ferments and controlling that and having things going through too fast and if you suddenly want to slow the ferment down what do you do if you want to or if you want to hurry it through and get it and get the wine dry like what do you do so it's all just questions I've thought about myself um, no doubt it'll, it will become clear very soon and um, yeah but that's what I'm most looking forward to doing rather than yeah varieties I think will sort themselves out for me and I'll just learn to deal learn and work with different varieties but at the moment it's just really the winemaking in general and learning how to get grapes from um, the vine through to the bottle um, or not even the bottle just the barrel really through ferment in a healthy, happy way. Yeah. I like it. So one of the things you will find is that there are not very many sweet wines in Arizona. Wine wines are almost all dry. 
I'm gonna switch to Viognier, by the way. Mostly because the bottle's right here next to me. Um, by and large, very few winemakers are doing sweet wines in Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, James is one of the few. Jason did one last year and the year before. I don't think we're doing one this year. Um, Manor doesn't Glomsky has done in the past. Um, but yeah, it's not something you really encounter very much just because of the nature of the climate here. Mm. Just one of those weird quirks of Arizona winemaking. Um, I really think the best grape for that is going to be Symphony. Um, Symphony for whites. And I think reds is probably going to be Merlot because that's the grape that ripens earliest. For dessert. Reds. Right. So you run the possibility in a dry year of getting those bricks high enough to do a sweet red with it. Um, most of the monasteries use Barbera for that same reason. Okay. I'm going back 25 conversation threads ago. Um, sweet wines are the ones that are used in the Orthodox Church. Um, right. Mainly because the way communion is done in the Orthodox Church where you actually pour hot water into it. And so you need a wine that works well with it, mixes huh. well, doesn't lose flavor but also works well with the bread that you put in as the host. I thought you were just trying to convert the average Americans because they have a sweet palate. No, it's just been that done that way now for almost 2,000 years. So, Pretty wild. I guess, if we wanted I to guess convert to the American sweet palate, we'd be using Moscato you should probably, you, you, Or you could use Coca-Cola for yeah, communion. Oh, God. <laughs> that, no. Fried, fried wafers of the, the body. <laughs> it could be fried... Uh, which called, oh, which called wafers? Well, for Catholics, it's wafers, but in the Orthodox Church, oh, we do don't use wafers. What do you use? Um, we actually have leavened bread loaves that are called pasta. Actual bread? Actual bread. What the hell Honestly, is that? You bread. can't buy it off the shelf? No. You have to make bread? You have to make a certain bread. It's a certain style. And then you use a certain seal, and then you use certain parts of that seal in the communion, and that become the flesh, and That's the flesh there. Way too complex for me. I'd rather just get some <laughs> off the shelf and... You can do that and you can do that and get Catholic wafers like by the thousands <laughs> on the internet. That. That's what I want. And then there's also I saw this on Amazon.com, a while back, there was like this communion dispenser <laughs> for the wafers. And you just click into the hands so that way you don't have to like give it to the person and get like germy and I'm just like Oh man. I can't handle head desk. <laughs> yeah. What the Fuck is this shit? <laughs> how how is the Eucharist uh, envision? Sorry to get religious, but I'm no, learning. Okay. How is the Eucharist ver in uh, Orthodox versus? I know Catholic. They they have that whole transubstantiation they, yeah, thing. Exactly. The, the body of Christ is the way for. And in the, the Orthodox is, Church, it's both mm. is literally, which I think the Eucharist and is, is symbolic. Like one of the most differential things. It is in a lot of. Catholic or Christian versus religions. Protestants, a lot exactly, of Protestants yeah. are like, ah, it's symbolic. Whatever, but yeah. for in the Orthodox Church, it both literally is, and is also symbolic of the type. And how that works is we just throw our hands in the air and go, it's a mystery. God does it through the miraculous intercessions of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to trouble ourselves with how it's done. It just happens. And yeah. uh, the transubernation, right? For, well, transubstantiation is the Catholic doctor yeah, that explains exactly how it happens or something. And in the Orthodox Church, we just like to let some things be mysterious because that is just how God is sometimes. 
It's some things are some things are man is not meant to know. I like mystery. Uh, me too. What are you sipping on now, Cody? I have grabbed the Viognier, which will reappear in a later podcast. Um, when my girlfriend gets back, we will be drinking an Arizona Viognier and a Virginia Viognier, because oh, I yes. guess that's the state grape for Virginia or something. Well, we can compete, I think. Can you name one state in America that does a good Viognier besides Arizona? Because, I mean, obviously. That I've tasted, um, Colorado does okay. Uh, California, okay. Uh, By and large, I think the best Viognier I've had in the U.S. is coming from Arizona. Yeah, have you had a Washington Viognier? I have not. The closest I've had to ours. And, uh, there's really not that many Viognier's in Arizona, to be honest, but. Yeah, um, yours... This is the first sip you've ever had, and... Mind you, we're in our cups already, but... Yeah, interesting. Was this partially wild ferment, too, or...? Half. And then the other half was three different manufactured yeasts. <laughs> manufactured. You're already, yeah. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember this from... From our barrel chasing before the last podcast, but I don't remember all the details. Cause Why were... don't you remember the details? Because <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty toasted by the end of it. Yeah. And that was fun, though. Oh. Yeah. oh. Good times. Oh. That's what wine's about. Exactly. That, that is. And also I've noticed that with wine, it naturally engenders conversation. You know, people like to talk about what they taste in the wine, what they see, what they feel, how it makes exactly. them feel. Exactly, it's a social drink. And beer, I've noticed, is less so. A lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, this uh, beer's let's, good. Let's, let's talk about this, because this is important, because this doesn't get touched on often. So, like, yeah. beer, to me, is a drink you drink after a long day of work. Agreed. You know, you want to have a beer. You want to just, like, you're, you might be thirsty. I don't know what it is, but you just want to have something that's, just, like, refreshing. And certain wines can be refreshing, albeit, but a wine has more of a, I guess the, the popular term nowadays is hedonistic. Mm-hmm. Good wine uh, has a hedonistic approach, which, you know, uh, it, it pulls to the heartstrings of many more things than just your desire to get some alcohol in you and have some refreshment. You want something that's a little bit more in-depth. I was going to say, like, I know in New Zealand, hops are taking along the same lines as vine, grape vines these days. And they are becoming more individualized, and people are actually taking more care of their beer. And um, craft beers are having a bigger mood. It's like they are in the U.S. as well. But um, I think we're moving away from the generic beer. I know what you're saying, for sure, James, but um, people are starting to really stand up and listen to beer and know, like, what they want in a hop and what they want in the nose and whether they want it fruity or whether they want it more like a draft or... Have you had the American beers yet? In, in America, a microbrews? No, I had no bug oh, yet! Shit. Have you had any beers, though? Uh, Corona the other night. So, we didn't, she has no idea what America has to offer with beer. Which is interesting. I mean, you've got the, learn the mass-produced... We're going to be learning this year. Mm, I, stuff. I learned so much. Like, like Budweiser. Budweiser. Yeah, we have this whole... 
Oh, Theirs man, is a, a huge micro brew. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know as much about beer as Gary so is the one who's reviewing this beer. This is America. America. No A. America. The A is silent. America. This is America. Land of the free. America. 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 Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got to do the U because America. America. <laughs> and then if you go, if you must say America, you must do it like Team America World Police. Go America. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Coming to save the motherfucking day. Yeah. Probably a little less higher pitch. I, I wouldn't either, either, either do that. <laughs> Aww. Come on, and, uh, just once. No. Oh, I'll edit it out of the podcast. No, <laughs> no, 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 neither. Damn. Well, you are the Kiwi, so... Maintain your allegiance as long as you can. That's it. Actually, New Zealand, I think, was... In a survey, proclaimed to actually be the freest country. And America was number six. Freedom. Apparently. I don't know what were the categories of the survey or what that was leading to, but... It's really interesting. We have a lot of empty space. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we can frolic freely. What's the population in New Zealand now? Let's talk about your home uh, town. About four and a half country. million. Oh shit, that's like a little bit bigger than Phoenix. That's yeah. the population. That's less than Arizona. We're a lot smaller though. It's basically in Arizona. Yeah. Well, you're probably about the, the whole country is probably about the same size as Arizona. I say, both islands. Mm. Yeah, probably around there. I have no idea. Our sheep population is diminished. Maybe somewhat. a little smaller. Diminished. Yeah, we don't, have any, we don't have as many sheep as we used to have. <laughs> there you go. Well done. Well done. I see what you did there. We got a lot more grapes. What do the Australians say about New Zealand? Like, there's, you know, I don't trust any country where there's more sheep than people. people. Well, we still got plenty more sheep than people. <laughs> but a um, lot, lot, lot more grapes, a lot more dairy cows. Our beef kettle's doing well. But, um... No, us and the Australians, we still banter about who has the most pairs of Velcro gloves per capita, for sure. <laughs> Velcro gloves. I, I've actually not heard this. What, what's what's the Velcro glove thing? Well, sheeps are like curly. No, sheeps is actually a singular word for plural. Oh, sh- sheeps. We, sorry. Don't, we don't say sheep. I've just been drinking. Sheep. Sheep. Are curly. Plural and singular. I know that. So that's <laughs> why you mean the Velcro gloves, okay. But they can help you hold on to the sheep. Okay. That's a sick and disgusting... I can't believe actually, your mind is that disgusting and sick. Actually, I have to say, for, for, the, for the record, sheep shagging actually happened in, in Wales as That's, a sport. In Wales as a sport? Many years ago. That's disgusting. As a sport? Mm-hmm. Well, there's not much else to do in Wales, from what I hear. Wales. We don't even know what that is in America. In America, sorry. <laughs> America. It's America. got a U in it. How many sheep have you seen in America so far? Five. There you go. <laughs> Five. Yeah. A couple of Dorsets, if I believe, agree. Yeah. <laughs> Lakey. You see, you would, you will see more sheep if you go up on the Navajo Reservation. Hmm. Uh, sheep herding is oh, very, yeah. very popular up there, from what I've heard. Yes, it is. It's, it's actually been... what they make. It's also there's also a heritage of Bosque sheep herding in Arizona. This is true. The Arizona Trail was established to give the Bosque herders a way to. Route their sheep, their sheep across the state. From what I remember in my history classes of, of Arizona. Speaking of Basques, and so wine from Basque country, and going back to great. refreshing wines, have you ever had a Chocolina? No. You must. It's a sort of slightly fizzy wine mm. from Basque country. It's made from this grape 
Well, there's a rosé version, which I've not had, and I really want to because I love rosé. Um, but the white version is made from a grape called Hunderabi Zorbi. <laughs> and the way it's spelled is so weird. I mean, my friend, when they first saw the word, and even when I first saw the word, I was like, what the heck, that looks Mesoamerican. It looks like <laughs> it's Nahuatl, not Basque, but it's T-X-O-K-L-I-N-A. And it's, that sounds very Mesoamerican, actually. It does, almost, yeah. but it's... It's quite refreshing. I, I have a bottle that I'm saving, actually, to drink with Sarah and Jason. Oh, you met Sarah today at uh, well, Bottling yes, in yes. Pillsbury. Um, I'm saving it to drink with her and her boyfriend because I originally promised to get her a bottle when there was a few bottles left in Prescott, and when I went, there was only one left. And I'm like, well, this one's mine now. <laughs> but it's a very, very refreshing. And in summer, when it comes to refreshing wines, I do tend to go for Vino Verde, or if I have the option, Chocolina. Which, you know, Vino Verde is great because you can get a decent Vino Verde for like six bucks at Trader Joe's. I really would like to see if Arizona can make something kind of like that in the long run. Sorry, what do you need? Oh, let me, let me get that for you. No, I'm good. But I digress entirely. Um... Stop getting geeky on us here. Yeah, I'll try not to. <laughs> Asking me not to be a geek about wine or history is... I'm pretty sure at this point, you know, anyone that's still left hanging on <laughs> is going to be us. <laughs> Later on yeah, in, our, in our adult lives, we'll be reminiscing about the good days when we were young and free Young and, and the beginnings of... I, I really think this drinking is... Drinking fine wine. I know, I know Belle will listen to this when she's back in New Zealand and in her rocking chair knitting... Scarves and, and other things right. that and Velcro scarf yeah. and Velcro gloves. That's <laughs> <laughs> Other things that grandmas do. <laughs> and when I'm old, I'll be probably I don't know. Like I'll be doing old, making wine in my vineyard. I'll be like, ah, I remember those days. And it'll be a good times. And then I'll drive up and we'll do another podcast. And God knows what I'll be doing in forty years, but. Whether maybe by then I'll have a veneer to my own, or, or I'd like to have a veneer to my own. I actually have a plan for what I want to do if I had ten acres at least. Yeah, you gotta think about how to get the land first. That's the problem. Is I have no way of getting the land yet. You know, I've got the first eight vines on my porch right now. <laughs> ten acres is very attainable. Yeah. I reckon. I just got to figure out exactly where. It's like, do I want to go and do it in Wilcox, or do I want to risk it and well, do a Chino, or do I want to try Sonoida, or... It has to be affordable. Yeah. It probably has to be somewhere no one else has gone before, so you can make, so it's still affordable. You know, by the time you're going to buy it, because the second someone plants grapes, it becomes a big deal. But luckily, there's a lot of unexplored land out there. I have a friend who actually was just got property in Ash Fork, and building a homestead cabin out there. I've looked at it there. He wants to plant some grapes out there, and so he was asking me the other day, Yeah. What should I plant? And I was like... I think water might be an issue there. Well, he's actually going to be doing rain catchment. And so yeah. he's, he's only going to have like 10 or 15 vines. You know, just enough for like home... You know, maybe mm -hmm. home winemaking and experimenting. So he doesn't want to do that much. Like, not even an acre. Not even a quarter acre, really. And so I was thinking up there, you know, easiest to probably acquire right now would be Saval. Hmm. 
Saval Blanc would probably do okay up there. For Reds, now you need something that's Syrah. Good. Syrah, I, I worry that it might be too high up for Syrah, though. Mavedra mm. um, will go well anywhere in Arizona, pretty much. What I suggested to him was um, Toraldigo, for lack of a better option. Oh, nice. I mean, it's a grape that I'm not familiar with, really, but I know it does well in higher elevation sites in Italy. Mm. There's a couple people planning it here. Page Springs has had some success with it. They've got one in barrel right now. I haven't tasted it one of these days. You know. I might as well just wait until... What are you looking for? I was just shutting you in French. Like... It, it sticks. Like it. <laughs> just shove it in. That's what she said. <laughs> Sorry. That's what she said to him after a few glasses of wine. Yeah, she said. That's what she said. <laughs> exactly. What was your move for? That's what he said. Was Brushing your teeth right now. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> we actually okay. probably should get ready for for bed right now. It's getting late. and I have to work tomorrow and we're getting coffee tomorrow at Caduceus. Regardless, it's always a good time, my friend. Oh, yes. And I hope we mine a little deeper into something unusual tonight, which we tend to do. Yeah. And, uh... I've got some... I have a, um... Rosé in my cellar right now that's actually made from a grape that one of the other names for it is Chenin Noir. So there is actually a red, a red Chenin. Chenin. Yeah. Um, it goes Sounds by like another a Rus name... Like a Russian Soviet set in France. You know, it's like yes, my name is Shin in the Noir. <laughs> but uh, it, it goes by normally another more common name, and I can't remember what it is. But one of the the synonyms for it is Shin Noir, which answered a question that I had had the day before I found it, which is, well, if there's a Shin Blanc, what's Shin Noir? Is there one? Blah blah blah. So we may crack. I may crack that, or I don't know. Uh, it's up to what the gang wants to do. But I have to finish my Viognier. I'm rocking it still, so... Yeah, I've got to finish my Viognier, because, you know... No, no Chenin Noir until you finish your Viognier. To paraphrase <laughs> one of my favorite ever lines from Futurama, which was, no beer until you finish your tequila. As it should be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, Cody, have you ever done a spring break in Mexico? I never did. Hey, Belle. Ah, oh, she's brushing her... Hey! You ever done a spring break? Have you done what? Have you done the spring break? Spring break. Spring break. What's that? <laughs> That's when you go on holiday and drink a lot when you're in college. Yeah, but we just did that, like, not necessarily at springtime, but just winter holidays, go away skiing for a week and drink lots, or... Okay. Yeah. Interesting. For sure. We you should go to, like, drink... Australia, or, like, just... No, Cadrona. just, like, down to Cadrona for, to wander ah, for skiing and stuff, and we yeah. drink lots of scrumpy and lots of shit wine and... That's bloody fantastic. Lots of vodka. Snort, face. snort chartreuse through our noses. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's one way to clear your sinus. Yeah. Red uh, that's vodkas. a digestif right Red there. Red vodkas. Oh, yeah. That's good times. All right. That's one of the cultural differences. Well, well, maybe at the end of harvest, we should all get together and go to... We should do a, a podcast out of Rocky Point with the, Rocky. Col with the college kids. We can blind taste them on wines. Like, <laughs> where do you think this is from? Ah, this is... They're all drunk and... They're like, I don't know, California. I thought you were going to ask us to take our tops off or whatever that uh, is. No, thanks. That's, <laughs> that's, that's quite nice. <laughs> but, 
Oh, but that would be interesting to uh, do sort of Nebbiolo and sneak over to Valley Guadalupe in Baja. Hell yeah, and go fishing. Fishing on the way, get some fish, fish our own food to pair Dorado with uh, Nebbiolo. <laughs> Mexican, Mexican, uh, Mexican water caught Dorado with a fantastic Nebbiolo. It's probably a pairing that's never been done. Uh, a, a Mexican Nebula, to be honest. Well, maybe it's been that. I don't know. Well, maybe we'll have to do that. That could be fun. Sign me up. No. I mean, I've got trip plans at the end of uh, September, but uh, when I get mm. back in October, we can totally do that because it'll be nice after crush. Unwind. Chill. And relax. Exactly. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Mm. Actually, I've had Mexican Nebbiolo. It was I've heard consistently that it's good, and I think it was just that the bottle that I had was subpar, but probably stored improperly. Was it spicy? It was, it was decently spicy, from what I remember. Like chipotle spicy or jalapeno spicy? What I remember was pepper, like banana pepper almost spice, mm. which was interesting. And that was a while back, and I didn't take good notes. I mean, I just did a quick five-second review on Vivino of the last one I had, and then there was one I had years before. When I was actually in Ensenada, or not Ensenada, uh, Tijuana, I was visiting a friend there who was an expatriate there for a time, and he decided that his plan was to get me drunk so I could get flirt, so I could flirt with people and get laid. And then I found <laughs> out that there was a wine bar, and with <laughs> local wine, and so I went. That's so why I, I said, went the shit really fast. Yeah, huh? and so like, oh, wine, let's go taste. <laughs> And so I, I tasted a, a little bit of wine there, and and that was the end of it. And and then I got all wine nerdy, and then he his eyes glazed, and his and plans for me getting laid, and at the time failed entirely. Uh, you know, that's kind of always how I've been. It's like, oh, shiny distraction. This is more important, more interesting. <laughs> I enjoy it. I enjoy it. We have always have a good conversation, sir, by the way. Yeah. You know, I can't wait to look back at this years from now and be like, ah, I remember that night. A nice video diary, or uh, not video, uh, audio diary. Audio diary, yeah. I'm really digging this Viognier. Sort of a floral apple. Yes. Pear nose. Grenache, you haven't had that yet either. I have. Are oh, you that's Grenache? Yes, yeah, right, that yeah. shit. I like the granola. It was one of the few. I am very finicky, and I know this makes me a minority opinion for Arizona. I'm very finicky about Arizona Grenache. I tend to prefer it more as rosé. Um, except That's what you when you see a lot of here in the north, you know, yeah. you see a lot of rosé Grenache. So, um, but agree. you know, there's there's a few winemakers that do make a really nice, good, solid red Grenache. You're one of them. Um, Wait until the 14 comes out. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember 
barrel tasting that, and it was good. It's inky and rich. That'd be fun. Um, it's unexplored, unlike anything I've seen yet, so it'll be fun. Fun wine. Yeah. Big fun wine. wine. Fun wine, fun time. Fun wine, fun time. As Belle says, as she pulls her sleeping bag out and is about to stake her territory. Yeah, we should probably let over her... Us men. Because we're crashing in her bed right now. No, I'm sitting on the floor. No, you're not. I am. No, you're not. I don't argue. Oh, well, fine. We do argue. You're sleeping on the bed. That's what I said. Don't argue with the lady. I'm not arguing with the lady. I'm giving her the best of that I have to offer, that I'm allowed to offer. Bless you. Okay. Bless, no, bless you. No, bless you. Bless you. You're sleeping on the futon. Yeah, you're, you're, you're sleeping on the futon. That's Thank fine. Thank you for my first ever podcast. Many more to come. Yes, indeed. Well, gang, until next time. <laughs> Asta la vista. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Asta la vista. Baby. Cheers. Cheers. Here's to Arizona. You don't have a glass anymore. Phantom glass. Phantom glass. Phantom glass. Oh, they're the Apache. They're phantom glass. <laughs> In the day of 2003, so do you edit I became the age of 21.